Play Ball. It's opening day, Thursday, March 30th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. To get us ready for this MLB season and get a feel for the new rules and who's going to be good, we're bringing in one of the best baseball analysts that I know of, athletic national writer, and incidentally, the first person to hire me for a, uh, a sports writing job, Eno Saris. Welcome, Eno. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, thrilled to have you. So we're, we're going to break down the whole MLB season, everything that's coming. Uh, let's start with the rule changes. In terms of of how the game um, is played, you know, the biggest impact on, on players, which of those rules do you think is going to make the biggest difference? Yeah, that's an interesting distinction because I think as a fan, the pitch clock is going to be the biggest thing. Uh, the way that the shift rules will affect baseball are not is not going to be obvious on just like sitting and watching one game. You're not going to be like, oh, wow, I saw all these hits that wouldn't have been hits before. And it's not going to be even that obvious, I think, on the single player level because you're talking about adding maybe 10, 15 hits to certain players. But if you add 10, 15 hits up for a lot of players and you start looking at overall trends, we are going to have probably the highest batting average on balls in play, maybe in history or at least in recent history this season. I had I had one friend, an analyst, who ran the numbers and said that he thinks that scoring will go up a run per game. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I kind of like outfield shifting in that it's higher stakes, where on on average it means, um, uh, you know, it, you, you reduce offense, but it can lead to situations where someone just hits a weird shot that, like, goes in the one place that you've abandoned. And we get a triple, and the triple is the best play in baseball. Exactly. So more triples. I'm, I'm all for more triples. Yeah. Looking kind of more broadly as teams bake in these, these new rules, are there types of players that you think are going to be significantly more valued, uh, hitting or pitching, uh, because of the shift here? I think there's a, a a premium put on putting the ball in play here. That's an interesting incentive because that's something that baseball wants. They want more balls in play. And so if you create a situation where you can't defend those balls in play as much as you used to be able to, then you're going to want balls in play. So that is a good thing. It, However, it puts pressure on teams to get pitchers that strike people out because now you can't defend the ball in play as much. And so you'd much rather have a strikeout than a ball in play. And that puts pressure on the strikeout rate upwards because they're just going to select more and more pitchers that strike guys out. Lastly, I think it will put an incentive out there for pull hitters because lefty pull hitters in particular, you used to have a penalty in terms of they could get shifted and they would lose some effectiveness on singles. Well, if that's back, then the lefty pull hitter is back, and we're going to want more and more lefty pull hitters. So that guy kind of runs counter to what baseball wants, I think, because lefty pull hitters generally swing and miss more, and uh, it's more about power, and uh, so it's not necessarily about putting the balls in play. So this is the one interesting thing about these rule changes is you see there's always like uh, three or four mini trends, and they kind of, and, and three or four incentives, we might see something in year one and see something different in year five as teams figure out how to skirt the rules, how to get around them, how to best play within the new rules. And these incentives may not all work out the way that baseball wants them to. Yeah, I've been feeling a similar way because 
Yeah, if you're you, the the ground ball pitcher was already you know becoming a, a scarce commodity, probably all the more so now that ground balls will be more dangerous. But also, yeah, the reason hitters pull balls is for power. And if you want just more hits, more guys on base, you want hitters spraying the ball. But yeah, now now the pulled hit, you you'll get more more singles here and there from those. Uh, you're losing the disadvantage to pulling, and so there's going to be more strikeouts, more guys aiming for the fences, uh, which feels like kind of, yeah, kind of the opposite of what MLB is going for. I'm excited to see these new rules, but yeah, I think there will be some cross incentives. In second place, I, I think the number of times you can throw over is uh, is now limited to, to to two. You can throw a third time, but then you have to get the guy or it's a balk. It's not something that may uh, show up every game or with every batter. But I did look, and there's a subset of about 10 players in baseball that average more than one throw over uh, when they're on first. Trey Turner, Randy Arozarena, you know, you know the types. And those guys, once you throw over once, well, you don't want to throw over a second time. Right, you can take another step. Right, and if you don't want, and if you throw over a second time, now you're screwed. You got to throw over or not. So it's going to lead to some back picks where the the, the catcher throws over to first base really quickly to try and keep him there after after the pitch. It's going to lead to some pitch outs, which teams don't like pitch outs because a pitch out is giving up a ball, and you don't want to give up count leverage. You do not want to give a ball to the hitter because they all their outcomes get better if they start getting if the count is two zero or three zero. You know you don't want to give up those balls. But uh, you're going to have to do something with Trey Turner on first base. So that becomes an interesting cat and mouse game that we have never really had in baseball. And there's an interesting piece on The Athletic with Britt Giroli where she talks to Ricky Henderson about how many steals he would get with the new rules. Yeah, what did you say, like 200? I think the answer is infinity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Steal before I got on base. Um, and um, yeah, no, I'm excited for the pickoff rule that, and, and like pitch outs, like, I don't remember the last time I saw a pitch out. Like, it used to be kind of a thing you'd see a lot, like, growing up, you know, watching a lot of baseball. But now if you've thrown over once or thrown over twice, instead of throwing over to home, you might just do a pitch out. Yeah. I wonder if you're going to see teams try to bait the runner, throw over for one or two times, um, and with the pitch clock counting down, the runner kind of knows when, you know, it's the pitcher's in that tight spot. And catch him that way. He, the pitch clock's going down, and you think he's going, just go over to first instead of home. Yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, I, I like that things are getting mixed up in a way that they haven't been in a really long time, in a way that I think will promote action. Even that catcher throw to first base is kind of exciting, you know. All right, anything else rules-wise that you're excited or wary about going into the year? Well, we had a lot of infractions during the spring training, but I did want to tell people that when they in, when they put the pitch clock in play in the minor leagues, they had two infractions a game early on, just like we had in spring training. By week five, that was down to a half an infraction a game, which is about the same as delay of game in football. And so I don't think this is going to be something we see a ton of. I don't think we're going to have another game with a walk-off, uh, a walk-off pitch clock violation in a while. So... Um, you know, I think uh, also the, the, the umpires had to figure out when to start the clock. So there was been, there's been some difference in enforcement when it comes to the pitch clock that has been ironed out uh, between the league and the umpires. So I think once we get the season going, we won't get that many infractions. And uh, honestly, I took my kids to a bunch of San Jose games and they loved the pitch clock. It kept them more engaged. There was more action. They get to shout three, two, one at the pitcher, and you know there was just uh, just more going on. 
Yeah, I'm excited for it. And this was probably the most important spring training, I, I don't know, maybe ever, <laughs> to get used to these, <laughs> used to these rules. Coming up, we're going to preview the MLB season division by division. We'll have that part of the conversation right after this. Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, take advantage of this special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com frontoffice. That's netsuite.com slash frontoffice. All right, we are back with Athletic National writer Eno Saris. So now let's go division by division, just get a feel for what we're going to be looking at this year. And why don't we start with the American League East? So uh, we'll do some predictions. We'll do some just lay of the land here. Uh, the Yankees are obviously still a powerhouse. The Rays are really good. The Blue Jays look pretty fierce. The Red Sox or Orioles could make some noise if things break right. Uh, who do you see as the most likely victor here? I'm going to go with the Blue Jays. I think that some of the things they did in the offseason were not super exciting looking on paper, but were super important. Things like Eric Swanson and um, also, uh, you know, becoming more left-handed in the lineup and improving their defense at a couple key spots, as well as signing Chris Bassett. The he's more of an innings eater, but there is value to getting innings from your top five guys. I I found a correlation just between how many innings your top five guys pitch and winning. And so I think I see them as having the horses, and then you know, if, even if someone gets hurt, they have Ricky Tiedemann, so they have. You know, a young prospect that's ready to go. I think Nate Pearson is going to be important in that in that um, bullpen. So, just generally, I like the vibe. I like the lineup. I like the the bullpen. I think the staff has the horses. It's it's a well rounded team that seems built to win. When I look at the Yankees and the Rays, um, Yankees depth is already being tested. They've they're already deep into their they're already into their seventh starter. You know, Clark Schmidt was supposed to be their seventh starter. He's now in the bull, in the rotation to start the year. So with that many injuries to start the year, uh, it's going to be hard when there's another injury. You know, um, and I mean, I, I think Davy Garcia is all right, but it starts getting a little bit hectic there at the back end. Um, and then it's an older team. Uh, Judge has, used to have injuries. If Judge, you know, has another injury, I don't know if I love that lineup as much as Anthony Volpe has some excitement. And then the, the the Rays, I think, just really need Wander Franco to become a superstar. I think if he just is a regular good player, I'm not sure that they can go far into the postseason. I think they'll make the postseason, but I, I don't know if they're going to win the division and go far into the postseason without somebody, one of their young guys, kind of joining Randy Rosarena as like a... A superstar pairing. Yeah, and they have a few, like even like Yandy Diaz. I could see, like, I'm just waiting for him to like have his launch angle just go up a little bit and become a star. Uh, like Tyler Glass now, obviously, like if he ever gets healthy, could be a you know win the Cy Young. Um, but yeah, I am encouraged to hear Blue Jays because I would love to see them win. I love the Blue Jays, um, but it always feels like they can never quite. They're like the new Red Sox, where it's like, oh, they're so good, but they never quite win. Um, all right, AL Central. Uh, Cleveland won last year. Do you see them as still the the top team there? 
I do. I do. It's an interesting way of going about business. It's very different. I love baseball when there's different ways to win. And the Guardians showed us that you can take a bunch of command pitchers and try to add velo. And you can take a bunch of uh, batters that, that control the zone and try to add power. Um, and they were a singles hitting team in a, in a time when singles were out of, out of fashion. So, uh, it does end up being a little bit light on offense when it comes to the playoffs, but making the playoffs. Yeah. I think this is the kind of team that's built to make the playoffs. The White Sox looked so good pretty recently. And now I don't now Now all of a sudden they look kind of like broken and, and bad. Uh, is there still hope for this core or are they going to have to like tear it down or something? I don't know. I love Luis Robert Jr. I love Juan Moncada. I love, um, you know, uh, some of the other players on this team. I think Michael Kopech has a bunch of uh, upside. I think Andrew Vaughn, if he, if he, you know, started to pull the ball a little bit more, could, could really uh, break out. And yet all of them, all of them, all of the ones I've mentioned have struggled with injury. Yeah. And they just can't seem to stay healthy. And then on top of that, before they signed Andrew Van Attendee, they were the worst team in baseball at swinging at pitches outside the zone. So they're kind of an undisciplined, um, very athletic team that has struggled staying healthy. And that is a weird identity um, that uh, hasn't really succeeded for them. New coach this year, maybe some health luck. They could definitely be in the mix. All right, that'd be fun. AL West, if I give you the Astros or the field, who do you got? The Astros. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they built uh, such a player development complex, such a player development machine that even when you're like, oh, what do they have in center field? Well, now they have Chaz McCormick, who's a totally credible major league center fielder. But behind him, they have Jake Myers, who's more of a former top prospect. And behind him, they have a guy named Justin Durden, who I didn't know his name until two weeks ago. But that guy, you know, hits tanks and has great plate discipline. So every time they you think, oh, well, they let Carlos Correa go. What are they going to do? Oh, just Jeremy Pena. Just the World Series MVP. It's fine. Yeah. There, there are certain teams that always have one guy that you've never heard of who's then just, like, awesome. It's like, them, the Dodgers. <laughs> and it's, and it's like, eh, stop it, guys. <laughs> like, suck for once. Um, yeah, so, you know, they let Justin Verlander go. They had this guy, Hunter Brown, that looks like a Justin Verlander clone. I crap you not. Looks, He actually loved Justin Verlander growing up and modeled his whole delivery after yeah. him. And so Hunter Brown might just be the guy who steps in and becomes their next Verlander. So it's just yeah, for forty three million kind of dollars an insane less. thing yeah. to, to to bid against. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Top over to the NL. The NL East has three powerhouses, all pretty different. Um, Mets, Phillies, Braves. Um, do you see one of them as separating from the other? Yeah, the Braves. I don't love how much they strike out, um, but and I don't understand or fully support their decision-making process with Dansby Swanson. I don't know. I didn't love Dansby Swanson as a shortstop, but they didn't get any of the new shortstops and they're willing to go to battle with, uh, Orlando Arcia at short, but, uh, it's an excellent, excellent core of elite young pit hitters that they've all signed to like eight to 10 year deals. Uh, and they just, and they're like the Astros. It's a little more scouting maybe than development thing where they, Oh, like we need a, another outfielder. Michael Harris is second, just one of the most exciting young outfielders in the game. You know, it's like they just keep turning out guys. I think it's a little bit more scouting than development, but um, they're yeah. they're doing something great over there. Yeah, I'm a Mets fan. It makes me crazy that they just have this core for like the next decade. And, like, they're all good. <laughs> like, there's the like Mets no are, The Mets are good, but a little bit like the Yankees where they're already testing their depth. I mean, yeah. it is 
it is good that Nimmo, I think, will make opening day. But, uh, you know, losing Quintana means that their six starting pitchers already in the rotation. It's a somewhat similar thing where it's like, you know, if they have more injuries, are they well equipped to handle handle it from then on forward, you know? Yeah. All right. NL Central, a weird division to me. Uh, the Cardinals are good, though I don't really know about their pitching. The Brewers have great pitching, uh, but and maybe enough to win the division. The Cubs, I kind of annoyed some fans a while back after they signed Hosmer. I said they're on a mission to be the most average team possible. And I kind of like their offseason, but like still, they, I look at that roster and it's like, this is the most average team I can imagine. Uh, the Pirates have some fun players that it's still quite not a good team. Same with the Reds. A lot of fun players. I don't think the team itself is quite there. I don't know when it will be there. Uh, just, I don't know, talk to me. What, what are you seeing here? Yeah, I mean, I think the Reds and Pirates will have their time. They are building towards something. There are a bunch of young players coming together in both of those teams. Um, and so I, I'm not willing to discount them fully two, three years from now. I don't know about this year. This year, I think it'll be another year where they're just trying to figure out what pieces they have and and, and start to build towards something. I think the Pirates will win more games than the Reds because they're a little bit further along in their rebuild and they need to start uh, building towards something. But uh, at the top of the, the pitch, I might take a, this might be a bold, uh, at the top of the table, I might, it might be a bold prediction, but I think I'm going to go to the Brewers because I like the Brewers pitching a lot, and I think they've done a lot to improve this lineup over time. And it's small moves, not very flashy, but Adamus and Contreras and Winker and Rowdy Telez that's a, a group of batters that's probably better than any they put around Christian Yelich in the past. And so, you know, I think they've got five legitimate guys. I even like Brian Anderson, the guy they got from um, Florida. So I think this is going to be a solidly above average lineup. And if they can creep into the top 10, they're going to have the pitching uh, to stop the Cardinals. The Cardinals have bet on contact pitching at exactly the wrong moment, I believe. And uh, they were they're projected to be third worst in strikeout rate uh, this the coming season. They were second worst last season, and now you got these shift rules. It's a it's a bad uh, combination, I think. Yeah, and the, you know they back it up with great defense, but you know that defense will be hindered by the shift rules. And that great defense is like kind of two older guys in Goldschmidt and Arenado. Outfield's still really good, but um, but yeah, all right. Well, I'm happy to hear Brewers. Wouldn't mind seeing the Cardinals dethroned there. All right, and NL West, Dodgers or Padres? Uh, this might also be a little bit of a hot take, but I'm going with the Padres. Uh, I think the Gavin Lux injury for the Dodgers is pretty huge, and it's not ever on just one player, but generally Gavin, the Gavin Lux injury plus the Trevor Bauer situation ham- hamstrung them financially a little bit, I think, because they didn't make that many moves this offseason, and they seem to be set to, like, mostly rely on James Outman in center and Miguel Rojas at short, which is, I think, well short of what you would expect from the Dodgers. Uh, You know, having Will Smith and maybe one of the top three catcher bats in the game behind shortstop does give you the opportunity to have more holes in your lineup because normally catcher is a hole and catcher isn't a hole for them. So, you know, maybe they can get by with a hole at short and at center. Um, but again, uh, I look up the middle and, uh, I see one great player up the middle. Um, and I see a team that, you know, they've, they say that they, they, they've been okay at pitching development. They've been pretty good at it. 
Um, but usually what they do is develop a pitcher and trade him. Uh, that's what they did with Josiah Gray and a bunch of other guys in the past. So if they have to keep him, are these young pitchers going to be good enough? I don't know. We'll see. It, it, they're going to rely on young pitching more this year. Yeah, I look at the Padres roster. I look at the Dodgers roster. And the Padres, I think, looks a little better. I'm still just, like, scared of the Dodgers because they always somehow win. But They've the got Padres some... roster looks like how the Dodgers rosters used to look, where you're right. like, oh, stud, stud, stud. He's okay, stud. He's okay, stud. You know, like, where's the hole in the in the Padres lineup? I, I guess it would be catcher, but, you know, even Nola makes contact. I don't think he's, like, a bottom five or ten catcher in the league. So... Um, you know, it's it's one of those situations too where they've built up some some depth and and they just have this this ace in the hole, Fernando Tatis Jr. Where it's like okay, they they had they were away they had no Fernando Tatis for so long that they had to build a team that could win without him. So now they've got a team that can win without him, and Tatis is going to join that team at some point, and he's going to paper over any mistakes that they've made in the roster building if it's. Trent Grisham is not that good at center. Then Tatis is going to be a great center fielder. If it's, oh, in left field, we're, they don't really, it's just a tandem or we don't know what we're doing. Tatis is a left fielder? Yes. You know? Yeah. Right. You know? Like Hassan King like can't hit anymore. Like, okay. Like, now okay. He's, he's a utility. He's a backup. You know? Yeah. Now, now Tatis is second or yeah. Bogarts goes to second. I mean, they build up redundancies. And, that, and that's the big thing, too, on the pitching end. They went and signed Seth Lugo and stretched him out in spring, and he's been good. Uh, they Adrian Morahan can do multiple innings, I think. Uh, they've got Nick Nick Martinez. Uh, they traded for Jay Groom. That was Eric Hosmer deal. Uh, and uh, so they have more options on the back end than they used to in terms of pitching depth. So I love their, their top three in you Darvish, Joe Musgrove, and Blake Snell, but they also really improved the back end. Before we go, do you have a World Series pick? Um, I'm going to go Padres Blue Jays. Love it. And, uh, and let's give it to the Padres. You know, Zaris, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Hope you got a game on right now. Send us your predictions, thoughts, anything you got on the MLB season at today at frontofficesports.com. And we'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.